Now, in my experience, Acts chapter two is very polarizing. People that I talk to uh, really fit in one of two groups. Either you absolutely love the first 13 verses of Acts chapter two, you love the Holy Spirit, you love the, the speaking of tongues, you love kind of the crazy stuff that takes place there, or you love the last six verses of Acts chapter two, which is about the birth of the early church, some of the core commitments that the early church uh, were committed to, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And yet, it's this middle part, verses 14 through 41, that I wanna spend most of our time on together today. And the reason for that is because in verses 14 through 41, we learn what a faithful gospel witness actually looks like through Peter's example here. And so the third ingredient that we're gonna look at today of a gospel movement is witness, what it means to be a faithful gospel witness to those around us. And so I do want to begin by kind of summarizing the first 13 verses because I believe it does lay the foundation for the early church. It lays the foundation for actually carrying out the mission of God. But we're gonna spend most of our time in verses 14 uh, through 41 looking at the four components of a gospel witness. But let's begin with verse one of Acts chapter two. Just gonna read this first phrase and then unpack it for us. Word of God says this, when the day of Pentecost arrived. Okay, just wanna pause there for a moment. If you're new to scripture or maybe you're not new to scripture and you look at that word Pentecost and you're like, what does that even mean? Like what does that refer to? What's the significance of Pentecost? Maybe you're wondering that. Let me just lean into that for a moment here. From time to time, God has indeed moved in extraordinary ways throughout church history for the spread of the gospel, that God has poured out his spirit in fresh and new and unconventional and maybe even dramatic ways, that these times have been called times of maybe revival or awakenings, maybe they're called reformations, and yet Pentecost was the first of these great outpourings of the early Christian church. But why does Jesus pick this day to pour out his spirit on the disciples? What's what's the significance of this moment in, in history? Well, two possible reasons, which they're almost really one reason. The first is that on this Jewish holiday, Pentecost, there would be a lot of travelers from all over the world that would be coming into Jerusalem. That Pentecost was one of three Jewish feasts that called for this kind of pilgrimage and travel to Jerusalem. In fact, it got its name, Pentecost 50th, from the fact that it took place 50 days after Passover. Now, secondly, Pentecost was a feast of harvest. That's what it's called in Exodus chapter 23. In other words, don't miss this, there's this kind of beautiful symbolic significance that's taking place here with the outpouring of God's spirit. See, as the Holy Spirit came here in extraordinary power, it was meant for witness and gospel movement throughout the entire world. And what happens in Acts chapter two is we see this great spiritual harvest in the field of the world. That's what happened, 3,000 people get saved according to verse 41. 3,000 people were harvested for God, given eternal life on the day of Pentecost, the feast of harvest. But I want you to try to, try to visualize this scene for a moment. The first 
13 verses. This is not kind of a normal experience for a follower of Jesus. I mean, you've got 120 disciples who are gathered in the upper room and they're most likely praying. Okay, Jesus has already ascended. He's already given this mission. Disciples are banking their life on this promise that the Holy Spirit would come. And then all of a sudden, like the Holy Spirit comes and it almost looks like the Holy Spirit is like, like fire that's landed on each one of them, okay? And then all of a sudden, they break out and start talking in all of these other languages that they did not know before, talking about the mighty works of God and the spread of Jesus. Like imagine if that happened in your small group this week or your Bible study. Like we've got small group tonight. I'm just seeing if that's gonna come out tonight. But that would be a very interesting experience. Be like, man, what, what is going on here? Like this is, this is kind of crazy. And, and really what we see here is that the Spirit's presence brings about the manifestation of tongues, that these tongues allow the disciples to speak about God's activity in the foreign language of their audience. And so the purpose of these tongues was to enable evangelism in a part of the world in which the gospel did not go forth yet. Okay, that's one occurrence, one usage of tongues throughout the New Testament. There's another occurrence, maybe even two more, in 1 Corinthians 14, and I will just say, I'm just going to tease you with that because that's not the purpose of this sermon. Um, but one, uh, one thing I do want to say about this is that, look, this is a significant moment in the book of Acts. Like this moment here results in the disciples actually carrying out the mission of Jesus. See, as the Holy Spirit came upon them, what immediately took place in verse 14 is the carrying out of chapter one, verse eight, and the mission that Jesus gave them to be disciples in Jerusalem. And so for us to think about the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit, let's not just kind of like, you know, kind of explain this away as this isn't prescriptive, this isn't really normative, but we should be challenged with the question of what does your relationship with the Holy Spirit actually look like? Like if, if you had to describe like your ongoing relationship with the Spirit, how, how would you answer that question? See, for us in, in our evangelical flavor, we, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit a lot. We talk about God the Father a lot, we talk about God the Son a lot, but we don't spend really enough time talking about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's almost like the Holy Spirit is, um, is like the crazy uncle in, in our family, and you know, if you, if you have a crazy uncle in your family and you have a family gathering, and and that uncle shows up, you know things are about to get a little crazy, maybe a little uncomfortable, like buckle your seatbelts here. Like that's sometimes how we treat the Holy Spirit. Like we've got this caricature of, of, of who he is and what he does. And when he shows up, like get ready, things are about to get a little crazy. Like maybe people are gonna speak in tongues and miraculous signs and miracles and prophesying and these mystical emotional feelings are gonna start to happen. Like that's kind of the category for a lot of us of what we think about the Holy Spirit. And some of that has to do with just maybe a lack of knowledge about the role of the Holy Spirit throughout the New Testament. In fact, there are 12 different things that I've looked at that, that the Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer that's absolutely essential for us to actually live out the Christian life. And so I'm not gonna unpack each of the 12. I just wanna highlight one role that the Holy Spirit plays for us that's essential in order to actually be a faithful gospel witness. 
Okay, so I could say a lot more about the Holy Spirit. I want to say a lot more about the Holy Spirit this morning, but I'll just say this one thing, the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, what he wants to do is he wants to exalt Jesus. That's what he wants to do in your life. That's like the predominant role. If you look at uh, John chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus says, but when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, okay? That's part of the role of the Holy Spirit, maybe the predominant role of the Holy Spirit. He wants to magnify Jesus in and through the life of the believer. There's a reason why, if you look at that role that the Holy Spirit plays, there are 15 different occurrences throughout the book of Acts of the Holy Spirit doing exactly that, bearing witness about Jesus in and through the early church leaders, so in other words, if I could kind of summarize what the Holy Spirit does, I think the Spirit of Christ uses the words of Christ to make much of the person and the work of Christ in the life of a believer. That's what he wants to do. In other words, the Holy Spirit loves Jesus. Like he's like, obsessed with Jesus. Like he loves the teachings of Jesus. He loves what Jesus accomplished on the cross. He loves all the things that Jesus did in his earthly ministry. And what the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through your life is he wants to bear witness about Jesus to you and to those around you. I heard Tim Keller put it this way one time that if the Holy Spirit had a bedroom and you walked into the Holy Spirit's room, all over his walls would be posters of Jesus. Like he just, he's all about Jesus and making sure other people know about Jesus. That's what he is about. So if you're a Christian here this morning, you not only have the Holy Spirit living in you and dwelling in you, but you need to know that the Holy Spirit wants to do that kind of work in and through you. The Holy Spirit wants to accomplish the mission of chapter one, verse eight to be Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. I'll be talking a lot about this idea of a witness this morning, and I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear witness. Like maybe you're thinking, am I gonna be in some courtroom witnessing something, or I'm not a Cleveland Cavaliers fan, I don't wanna be a witness for LeBron James. Like, like what does witnessing actually mean? Well, let me, let me use a definition, and one of our elders, Dan Flynn, actually talks about this a lot as it relates to evangelism, so borrowing some language from him. But witnessing is really all about loving Jesus out loud in everyday living. Okay, it's loving him and allowing that to overflow in your conversation and in what you say and how you talk about Jesus. So like, don't, don't view witnessing as, man, I gotta get to the four spiritual laws and I've got to, to share this kind of cold presentation that's gonna be forced and awkward and unnatural. Don't, don't think about witnessing or evangelism in that way. Like, it's not, not even very helpful to think about that. And I know for me personally, like, like when I hear the word or read the word evangelism, like, I have, like, this knee-jerk reaction. I got this pit in my stomach because I think, okay, I gotta have this awkward conversation with somebody that's gonna be joyless and forced, that's, that's not what I'm talking about as it relates to witnessing. Witnessing is loving Jesus and allowing that to overflow in your conversations with those around you. 
Look, I've said this before, and like I'll say it again, you and I, we talk about that which we love. That's how we do life. You love the Colts, you're gonna, lo- you're gonna talk about the Colts. Like you love your kids, you're gonna talk about your kids. You love Taco Bell and the cheesy gordita crunch, like you're gonna talk about Taco Bell. Look, if you love Jesus, you're going to talk about him with other people. And you're going to do it in everyday living. And so that's, that's what I mean by, by witnessing. And that is our mission, and that's what we as a church are called to do. Now, it's one thing to understand maybe a definition of witnessing, but how can we become more faithful gospel witnesses here in Hamilton County? How can we as a church be able to participate in this ingredient for a gospel movement to occur? And so for the rest of our time together, I just I wanna point out four components of a faithful gospel witness through really the life of Peter here uh, in this situation in verses 14 through 41. Okay, four components. Here's number one. <clears throat> to be a, fa- a faithful gospel witness means you must yield to the Holy Spirit. You must yield to the Holy Spirit. When you get to verse 14, this is after the Holy Spirit has come, what you see immediately taking place is that, the, is that Peter is yielding to the Holy Spirit at work in his life. See, verse 14, it says that Peter starts to, he stands up and he lifts up his voice and addresses them. Now, know this, that there are thousands of people that he's beginning to address. Okay, we know that because three, over 3,000 people get saved in verse 41. And we know that lots of people either thought they were drunk or they were, they were just bewildered by this whole scene. So there were thousands and thousands of people in this moment that Peter stands up and starts to talk about Jesus. Okay, now, you have to understand that if, if you're um, not, uh, not into public speaking or maybe you've got some anxiety issues or you don't wanna rock the boat, like this scene here would fill your stomach with more than just butterflies. Like this is an unbelievable act of Peter. This is really a defining moment for Peter. And know this, that not even 60 days before this, Peter was denying Jesus in front of people. Not even two months before this, he was a man who was marked by fear. He was a man who, who lost his mission, who was wondering what his next steps were. And all of a sudden, we see this man who is preaching about the beauty of Jesus to a group of people who thought that they were drunk. Now notice the first thing that Peter says is he actually pushes back on that accusation and says, man, we're, we're not drunk, like it's, it's only nine in the morning. Like I know it's five o'clock somewhere, but look, we're not, we're not drunk right now. And then he starts talking about Jesus. I've been doing a lot of studying in Acts and the Gospel of Luke throughout this sermon series, and sometimes when I'm studying a book, like the Lord just kind of like drops this question onto my heart that's extremely convicting. And I feel like the question that, that God's been asking me throughout this study is, Chris, could your life be more characterized by, by a pre-Pentecost disciple or a post-Pentecost disciple? Been chewing on that, like thinking about how the disciples were in Luke, a people who you know, were fearful, confused, they were competing with each other, not really knowing the purpose of their life. And then you get to Acts and you have this moment 
Pentecost, and all of a sudden there are people who are bold, who share Jesus with other people, they're unified, they're generous. And I've just been wrestling, like, is my life characterized as a post-Pentecost disciple, or am I still living as a pre-Pentecostal, pre-Pentecost disciple of Jesus? Just been wrestling with that because this idea of being of yielding your life to the Spirit is really the key in order to live out the mission of Jesus. And look, just to confess to you this morning, I, I live too much of my life on my own strength and my own power. Like I read chapter one, verse eight, and my immediate thought is, man, how can I build a relationship? How can I strategize? How can I, instead of praying that the Holy Spirit would fill me with the power and the words to say, like my knee-jerk reaction is to go and do instead of go and pray and rely on the Holy Spirit's power. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, man, like the key to all of this is yielding to the Holy Spirit. Look, that might sound a, a little bit abstract this morning, so let me maybe break it down a little bit and maybe give some, some helpful tips of how to live a life yielded to the Spirit. This might be just like a side sermon for a moment, but I think it's important to talk about this. These are kind of things that the Lord has been teaching me over the last couple of years about living a life yielded to the Spirit. I just wanna share four things that I've learned just to develop a deeper relationship with the Spirit. I hope it's of help to you. So number one, one of the key ways to yield to the Spirit is pray, is, is to pray. Like, I start my day, and one of my prayers, not a long prayer, but I just ask God, God, make me more aware and sensitive to the Holy Spirit today. Just a simple prayer, not a lengthy prayer, but what that does is it warms my heart up, it like awakens me. I actually acknowledge that the Holy Spirit's real and, and that he's living in and through me, which I need to do, and it, and it opens myself up to opportunities throughout the day that he might prompt me and lead me to live by his power. So number one, pray. Number two, familiarize yourself with the Spirit. I think it's hard to be led by the Spirit if you don't know who he is or what he does. And so one of the key things that I've been doing over the last several years of my life is just highlighting different works of the Holy Spirit that I see in his word, how he worked in the lives of other people throughout scripture, because that has really impacted me because when he wants to do those same things in my life, I can actually identify that that's the Holy Spirit and not just the bad Chinese the night before. And I need that reminder, like, okay, he did that in this person's life in scripture, he might be doing that in my life here today. I'll give you an example of that. Let's say that you're reading through the book of Romans and you get to Romans chapter eight and you learn that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to help us pray. And let's say you're studying that, you, you kind of remember that, and then you go throughout your day and let's say you go to the grocery store and you see a young father with two little girls absolutely struggling and he might look like me and you think to your moment, man, I, I should really help that person out or pray for that person. And you think, man, how would I pray for them to just encourage them and maybe God would, would encourage that person. You think to yourself, wait, one thing that the Holy Spirit does in my life is he, get, he helps me to pray. And so you ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, give me words to say to pray for this struggling father with two girls. And so you pray for him and then maybe through that process, the Holy Spirit is prompting you maybe to go and encourage that person. 
So maybe you walk over there thinking, man, what am I gonna say? What's this gonna, how's this gonna go down? And you just start to encourage that person and maybe that opens itself up to a gospel opportunity to talk about Jesus. And look, all because you familiarized yourself with something that the Holy Spirit does in your life and it makes you more in tune for maybe what's, what he wants to do in your life. And we can do that all throughout the New Testament. Another key um, thing that I've learned about yielding to the Holy Spirit is practicing being aware of his presence. It's this intentional awareness that God is with me, that God is living in me, and God is living through me. Like, like trying to practice, like it's a discipline when I go throughout my day. And this is like a spiritual discipline. I mean, this is something that, it's almost like a muscle. Like the more that you do, the stronger that it gets. But I got a point in my life, in college especially, when, when I just, I was so tired of God feeling like this abstract power in heaven, and I wanted him to be this personal being that I saw him in throughout the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament. And just praying and wrestling, and th- there came a moment in my life when I was just sick of, of living like a practical atheist, Like I believe in Jesus for my salvation, but I went throughout my day not talking about him, not thinking about him, not talking to him, like living practically like an atheist. And and so one thing that the Lord was trying to teach me and one thing I started to do is just being aware of the Holy Spirit that was living within me. And that dramatically changed my life and it dramatically impacted the way that I lived out the gospel. I stopped relying so much on my own strength, on my own power. And something that's helpful for me, like as I go throughout my life, I'm, I'm trying to be in tune with two realities that are going on. Like there's a reality of what's happening on the surface. Like I'm in a meeting or I'm having dinner with somebody or I'm doing the dishes or working out, whatever that is. But then there's a second reality going on of the Holy Spirit who's living inside of me who's prompting me, who's working in ways that only he can work, and I wanna try to be in tune with both realities. I don't wanna be so lost in here that I, that I ignore the Holy Spirit, and I don't wanna be so lost in the Holy Spirit that it takes me out of, of just everyday living. So there's a balance there. Let me give you an example of, of recently how this has played out. So last week, uh, my family and I had just gotten so stir-crazy uh, with the weather and the sickness, we went to this indoor play area with our little girls. And, uh, and it's where parents can kind of talk and mingle while the kids play. And I was watching Lila, our one-year-old, and, um, and across the room, my wife was with Ellie, our four-year-old, and she struck up a conversation with another, with another mom. And like, I'm paying attention to Lila, playing with Lila, but I'm hearing Lindsay, you know, start talking to this woman, and I heard her say, yeah, my husband's a pastor. And in that moment, I'm thinking, she's going there. Like, she's going to the gospel here. And she, she starts talking about, you know, kind of what I do, the church that I'm at. And she invites her to come to our church. And in that moment, like, I'm aware of this reality, but I'm also trying to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. I'm sensing this prompting from the Holy Spirit to stop and pray for my wife and this woman. And so I'm, I'm playing with, with Lila, but I'm praying, God, give Lindsay words to say right now. Give her the right posture. Like stir in this woman's heart, maybe a curiosity for Jesus or, or the church. And, and all I'm doing is I'm just practicing the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life, trying to be in tune with, 
with both conversations. And I think for us to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, if we go throughout our day ignoring this other reality, we're never going to be aware of the promptings that he has. So be aware of his presence has been a big one. The fourth one here, just to state an obvious one, but follow when prompted. Follow when prompted. There's a level of obedience that you see even with Peter here. I wonder if Peter, who's, you know, they start speaking in tongues and he's sensing this, man, I, I should probably stand up. I should probably say something. Like, they're, they're, they're thinking that we're drunk here. Like, I'm sure he wanted to kind of explain that away and say, maybe tomorrow, right? Like, maybe, maybe next week or, you know, they're gonna be here for a couple days with Pentecost, you know, the, the celebration. But no, like, he follows the prompting and, and obeys the, the Holy Spirit here. And I think, again, this is a muscle that takes practice, and the more that we use it, the stronger that it gets. And so we yield to the Spirit as a way to be a faithful gospel witness. Number two here, second thing I'll point out, is to know your audience, to know your audience. Peter not only yields himself to the Spirit, but Peter, also being led by the Spirit, is demonstrating an ability to take what he knows about Jesus and apply it in a way that his audience would best receive Jesus. Like we call this, um, we call this contextualization. Like we all live in a specific context, a specific culture that really impacts how we process and how we intake information. And I believe that we're called to study that culture, to study that context, to know it well enough to be able to talk about Jesus in a way that that those around us would best receive him, that we're supposed to identify what the common barriers are in the community around us from receiving Jesus and to be able to speak into that. Missionaries are probably the best at this. Like if you're trying to be a missionary over in Germany, you wanna share Jesus with, with Germans over there, like the first thing that you need to do is you need to understand the language and the culture over there in order for them to best receive Jesus. Look, I think that we're, we're all missionaries. We're all called to do that here in Hamilton County, to identify what is the best way to talk about Jesus without watering down the gospel in a way that they would best receive that. And look, you see Peter doing this in this, spur, in this speech, the sermon that he gives. Notice that Peter is quoting the Old Testament all throughout his sermon. See, Peter knew that his audience, they were Jewish, And so he knew if he used the Old Testament, this would resonate with them and this would allow him to build a bridge in order to get to Jesus. Look at verses 16 through 21. Peter quotes from Joel chapter two, verses 28 through 32. And by doing so, he not only explains the coming of the Holy Spirit, kind of explains what the Holy Spirit will do now, don't miss this. This is really helpful what Peter does. Peter knows his audience so well, and he knows that maybe what they just saw might be a potential barrier for them to receive Jesus, and so he leans into that and speaks into and, and provides some clarity about what the Holy Spirit does. That's not just a random quote where he's like, yeah, this might be helpful. I'll, I'll pick Joel too. No, he uses it to explain the Holy Spirit in order to remove a potential barrier. Look, Peter could have just cut right into verse 23. He could have got right into, started talking about Jesus and the gospel, and God would have used that. But he didn't. 
he, he wanted to demonstrate an ability to know his audience and to contextualize the gospel, and he does so, and it's efficient. 3,000 people are saved in the process. Peter, or Paul, the apostle Paul, does the same thing in Acts chapter 17, verse 28. Paul is preaching in Arabicus, and he quotes from one of their own poets. It's in the Bible. He's contextualizing the gospel. He knew exactly what his audience needed, and he used it to build a bridge to get to Jesus. My question for you this morning is, do you know your neighbors like that? Do you know your, your coworkers like that or, or your classmates like that? Do you know them well enough to say, yes, if I bring this up, I'm, I'm able maybe to bridge it to Jesus and the gospel? Or if I bring this up or do this, this is, this is gonna lay a brick of grace as I build this bridge of grace that can hold the weight of truth. That if I do this, I'm gonna build some sort of relationship with them. See, I think in order for us to be a faithful gospel witness, we must know the community that we are in, which demands that we do a lot of studying, we do a lot of listening, and we invest a lot of time building bridges of grace that can hold the weight of truth. So know your audience. Number three, Another component for being a faithful gospel witness that Peter demonstrates for us is that he makes Jesus the hero. Makes Jesus the hero. You look at verse 23, and just an amazing verse here. He talks about how God had raised Jesus up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Like Peter, all of a sudden in this sermon and in this speech, just shines a spotlight on the hero who is Jesus. He says, look, death cannot hold him down. There's nothing that can conquer Jesus. And he puts the spotlight and the focus on Jesus and Jesus himself. Like this is something that we need to do as we're, as we're talking about Jesus. That we need to make Jesus both, both compelling and irresistible. And so look, is this something that you do when you talk about Jesus with other people? Like parents, when, when you're talking to your kids about Jesus, are you making Jesus compelling and, and highlighting how satisfying he is? Or are you just talking about Jesus as, as a means to get to heaven? See, making Jesus the hero, whenever we talk about him, shines a spotlight on him, which is exactly what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. I also wanna point out the fact that, I don't know if you caught this, but Peter mentions that it was them, the Jews, who crucified and killed Jesus. Think about that for a moment. Like, I'm reading that, I'm like, why would Peter do that here? Like, that's not very loving or seeker-sensitive or seeker-aware. Like, he just lays it on them, not once, but at least twice in verse 23 and 36. You crucified him. You killed him. Why would he do that if he's trying to woo these people to Jesus? Well, I think it's because Peter understood that in order for Jesus to be your hero, you must first understand your need to be rescued by this hero. For, for them to understand, look, I need Jesus, Peter had to talk about their sin. And I think Peter does this beautifully. He puts side by side their sin and yet Jesus' grace. And I think that we are called to do the same. One practical way to do this is as you're sharing the gospel and, and you're talking about your story, it's okay to highlight the 
the way that Jesus rescued you. Like it's okay to talk about in an appropriate way like the sin that Jesus saved you from. Like sometimes we're, we're so good at like editing our sin just so that we don't look so bad. Like we're, we're really good at spiritual kind of photoshopping our brokenness so that we appear a certain way, especially like in this community. And yet whenever we, whenever we minimize our sin, we end up diminishing the glory of the cross and the one who hung there. See, I think when we articulate our, our own need to be rescued, our own sin, we eliminate any ambiguity to who the actual hero is in our own story. Like you need to know this morning that God wants to use your brokenness. He doesn't want you to hide it. He doesn't want you to kind of explain it away or, or maybe to only talk about it when someone else has been broken, but, but God, maybe in his sovereignty, allowed you to go through time of brokenness, a time of suffering, a time of, of sinful disobedience in order to use that to connect and build a bridge to get to Jesus. And like in my experience here, just being in this community a couple of years, that has been a great bridge in order to get to Jesus. Something I've learned in this community is sometimes when I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, I get this impression that they are interpreting Jesus as just one more thing that they can add to their life because they don't have it. Like they're trying to keep up with the Joneses. They're like, oh, this Jesus thing, I don't have him. I need to add that with you know, all the things I have. And so Jesus becomes like an accessory. Like in their minds, they're interpreting Jesus as like another piece of jewelry when in reality, Jesus is the hero. Jesus needs to be your life. And so for me to get there, I sometimes have to talk about my brokenness and my past and highlight who the real hero is and how he demands everything from us. That he's not just another consultant kind of on this committee of our lives, but Jesus is the king and he is the Lord. And so we need to make him the hero in our lives. The fourth component of a faithful gospel one is the last thing that I'll, I'll close with here is to extend an invitation. Extend an invitation to kingdom living. Peter here in verse 37 gets done with his sermon and the people really just throw up a softball to him. They're like, man, what, what shall we do? And Peter in verse 38 says, repent. In other words, like turn from your sins. You can't turn from your sins unless you believe in Jesus. And he says, be baptized. In other words, identify with Jesus as your Lord and declare it to other people. And then as a result, 3,000 people are saved and added to the church. Look, this might sound strange, but I, I feel the need to highlight something about sharing the gospel and being a gospel witness that I think we almost need to be reminded of this morning that's not just about sharing Jesus and getting people to believe in Jesus or repent of their sins, but it's also inviting people to live with Jesus here, now, and in the present. Like sometimes we'll talk about Jesus and share the gospel as Jesus is this means that's going to impact your future in heaven. And, and we miss the fact that, no, no, you can enjoy Jesus now. Like Jesus can impact your life here in the present as you live in the kingdom of God. And I think by doing so, we, we highlight how compelling Jesus actually is. He's not just something in the future, but he's something that changes your life here, now, in the present. 
And I think we need to be reminded of that in something that Peter does here and something the early church does all throughout Acts. Last fall, we did a, uh, an evangelism challenge uh, in our church where a few months we just were focused on sharing the gospel, just trying to be more intentional with that. And there was a, a family who was telling me about their experience with it. This family uh, told me that they've always struggled to kind of find opportunities to, to be a faithful witness. And yet this one rainy night, they heard a knock on the door. And they open it, and here's this woman standing in front of them with a, a book bag on, and she says, hey, I'm, I'm traveling throughout the state by foot, and it's pouring down rain. Can I sleep in your backyard because you've got this huge tree? And this individual is just like, man, God has just put an opportunity right in front of me. And so he says, no, 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 you're, you're gonna come in, you're gonna stay with us, you're gonna have a meal with us. And so the woman accepted. And so this woman has dinner with this family, and he had multiple kids, and this woman smells like cigarettes and smells like alcohol, and yet the father just doesn't care, right? Like he's, he's stepping out, and he talks about Jesus with this woman, is able to pray with this woman, and not only that, but demonstrates how Jesus can change your life here now in the present. See, this, this family like embodied what the gospel and what the kingdom of God is all about. See, they, they were able to be hospitable. They were able to be kind. They were able to, to love on this woman. And, and they could have just you know, handed her a track and said, hey, we'll pray for you. Here, here's a piece of bread, kind of get on your way. No, no, no. They wanted to invite her into like, what the kingdom of God is all about. Like, I just wanna encourage you this morning. We have an endless supply of invitations to the greatest party celebration ever. And, and we're called to extend those invitations to as many people as possible in this community. And this, this party, this celebration that, that heaven will be, that, that, that invitation is not just something for the future, but it's something that we can experience right now here today. Like this is a, a key way that we want to be more of an aircraft carrier as a church. This is a significant way that we want you to take the mission field and to live it out, out there, to multiply the gospel by being a faithful gospel witness by applying these four components. And so the question that I wanna close with this morning is, I want you to think about what, what is your Jerusalem in your life? Like we talked about chapter one, verse eight, this mission that Jesus has given the apostles he says, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, right? For them, that was their immediate community, their immediate context. And I wonder, what is your Jerusalem here this morning? Maybe your Jerusalem is your family. Maybe it's your workplace or your, your small group or a group of friends or maybe just even the Fishers community here. But how can you apply these four components in your Jerusalem here today? I also wanna encourage you this morning that you're gonna fail at this. Just wanna say that out loud to encourage you. Like, you're gonna miss opportunities to do this well. Like, you're gonna get moments and you're gonna yield yourself to the Holy Spirit, you're gonna open your mouth about Jesus and you're gonna walk away being like, man, I totally just blew that. Like, I just stumbled my way in talking about Jesus. And like, I just wanna encourage you this morning that there is a better and perfect evangelist and his name is Jesus and in his sovereignty, he's going to use 
your faithfulness to do so much more than what you could think or imagine. And all he calls is for us to be faithful and to walk into those moments in which he presents before us. Just wanna remind you, this isn't about you. This isn't about me and how much we know or in our own experience. It's about loving Jesus and allowing that to overflow in the conversation around us and see God at work. So one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit like helps to identify these big gaps in our life. We talked about this in, our, in prayer last week, but you see this mission that Jesus has given us. And if you're like me, you see your own resources, your own ability, and you think, man, how can I live that out faithfully? And that space there, that gap, is something that God uses to like push us and press us in to relying on the Spirit of God. And so if you're thinking, man, how can I do this? Like this is beyond me. That is exactly where God wants you today so that you rely not on yourself, but you rely on the Holy Spirit who is giving you power, who is giving you his presence to fulfill, to be a gospel witness. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for this moment here now that we get to maybe reflect on the Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for a time in which we get to see how you have worked in the early church to be able to challenge the way that we live here and now. And God, I pray that you would fill our hearts with this love and this, this passion for Jesus that spills out in our conversations with people at home and people, with our, people in, our, in our friend group, in our workplace, in our neighborhood. God, we want people to experience the freedom and the grace of Jesus. So God, help us to be that kind of church. We pray in Christ.